You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Well, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. Mr. Blake. I'm Gene Craddock from the Sun Scene. Tape recorder, okay? Go ahead and ask that. What's your real name? I'm Bad Blake. My tombstone will have my real name on it. Until then, I'm just gonna stay bad. Your heart's on the loose. You rode them sevens with nothing to lose. Where'd all those songs come from? Life, unfortunately. Place for the weary kind. I'm 57 years old. I'm broke. Why don't you sit down and write some songs, huh? Keep talking. Hold on your shots. I keep feeling obliged to apologize for being less than you probably imagined me to be. Somehow this don't feel like home anymore. We ought to go out and find some trouble to get into. Yeah, big trouble. And this ain't no place for the weary kind. I knew what the risks were with you, and I took them. Uh, hello, and welcome to Above the Title, the only podcast dedicated to the career of Colin Farrell and the evolving state of the 21st century movie star. I'm Cole. I'm Connor. I don't know why I specify the only podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would I would welcome another one. Um, thank you for joining us, people in the year of our Lord 2038, where yeah. the strikes have officially ended and we can yeah. begin publishing our episodes again. This is yeah, this is uh this is the first episode we've recorded since we decided to go dark. So you uh, will probably you're probably listening to this right now, like a, a heavy chunk of time apart from heavy. when we recorded I mean, it. To to orient you in space and time, future listeners. Uh, yesterday, Warner Brothers decided to push June Dune to March, which I think is the sign everyone took that like the fucking strikes are not ending anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, man, it's wild. It is you a know, wild time to be alive. I I I I I know this is like a stupid thing to say, and I know doing like a cute gotcha isn't going to actually do anything for the strike, um, and I know that the the SAG after strike is actually more concerned with like protections for smaller, like part time actors than it yeah. is for big movie stars. But if you, David Zaslav, enemy of the people. <laughs> are telling me that the box office hit you are going to get to Dune from Chalamet and Zendaya not being able to do press is greater than the box office hit you're going to take from having to restart all the marketing and abandoning a six-week open runway of IMAX screens yeah. and moving into a crowded march, then you should probably fucking cave to SAG. It's all I'm fucking saying. 
I don't have anything to argue against that. It's I mean, love. I know, know it's not like original to be like I hate David Zaslav. It's not like my like blood feud with Bob Iger, where that like gets to be like a thing that I have personally. But like I, really I, I don't know. It. I feel like Bob Iger is also up there. Uh, like there was a weird. There was we we did go through a strange period of like Bob Iger, not necessarily worship, but like Bob Iger acceptance as like. Oh, this is the guy who figured out the al like he he's the one who saw the matrix of like how to make a uh, big universe genre <sighs> franchises work, um, which is just, it's it's one it's hilarious in the first place that like he got credit for that in the time that it happened. But I mean, for where we are right now, I think Bob Arger is definitely on the down and out. Not as he's far the as fucking CEO Disney again, yeah. No, but I think like yeah. I think regular people are like fuck Bob Iger, which was yeah. not a thing that was being said. Well, regular like, people 2017, are like, 2018. Regular people are like fuck Bob Iger, and I'm yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> That's getting bleeped. Oh my god! <laughs> Can you imagine if <laughs> before this episode airs? <laughs> fucking hate bob Iger. i also hate david zaslov um i also hate reed hastings and ted sarandos uh but that's another one that's like not sexy everyone hates reed hastings and ted sarandos did you see they're just fucking giving away the netflix dvd library are there any are there any that would be like i hate this person and then people are like oh shit i can't believe they said that oh god not like ceos i guess maybe like amy pascal Pascal rocks. Pascal's so cool. That's She's what got, I'm like, saying. Incredible I'm drunk. saying like if you just came out with like a scorching hot take of like I hate Amy Pascal and then everybody's got to take a, a step lot of back. People don't like Amy Pascal is the thing, um, uh, including the nation of North Korea. Uh, <laughs> I actually can I hit you with a hot take? Sure. I don't think the North Koreans were behind the leaks. The, the, Sony, the Sony leaks from yeah. um tw- was it 2016? 2014. 2014, yeah. Because it was it was ostensibly tied to the interview. I, yes, I think that yes. was a fucking in, in Sony coup to get Pascal out. This is my this is my firm belief. I have no evidence to back it up. I I I don't know. I guess my evidence to back it up and apologies to if any of my I friends who weird... are fucking like hardcore tankies are listening to this um <laughs> well i think cole i think just to say like i think the weird thing about that scenario is how widely accepted it is that north korea was the was responsible for yeah, the, and my, the leaks again yeah. which is crazy because in any other scenario that would just be like a rumor yeah. it would just be a myth that was yeah. unconfirmed well it's but by this point it's like prove it the predominant narrative yeah, is that north I know, korea but, but hacked sony there's no actual evidence to back it up it's like fucking <laughs> saying that sid vicious killed nancy spongent right like they just said that's what happened and it was like oh okay everyone bought it no actual <laughs> evidence sid did not kill nancy by the way um that isn't that is a true thing i have no I, I apologize to any of my hardcore tanky friends if you happen to be listening to this but what about North Korea suggests that they are able to pull off something <laughs> as like effective as the fucking Sony email hacks? I, I the 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 only argument I like have against that is it's that not like we're saying Iran did it, right? Yeah, like no, are... but but the only argument I have to, against that is that. 
these film production apparatuses are are not like set up in a way to protect themselves from any kind of attack that's, like that. So it's not like North Korea is hacking into the, the fucking Kremlin and releasing Vladimir Putin's like internal correspondence. It's okay, 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 okay. But here's my here's my my double second point is that um the predominant narrative of the past 10 years of American executive branch politics is that everyone's fucking OPSEC is terrible, right? (laughs) Going back to Obama, it's like fucking like colander like walls up there, right? Like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying who benefits. I don't think your, I don't think your theory is, is one that strikes me as like wildly, uh, against the possibility of what could have happened. Who I mean, especially considering like the how her like the path her career has taken since the leaks happened, it does seem like there there could have been some kind of. Uh, Amy Pascal is doing great. Yeah, but uh, uh, I'm uh, saying she, like in that moment, it seemed like she was taking heat from like eight different directions. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Amy Pascal yeah. got fucking booted from from sony has been on a fucking run uh she got an oscar nomination she should have won i'm not i'm not i wasn't saying that her career took a bad path i was saying that the way the way she has had to take a step back and then rebound harder suggests what your suggests your theory that it could have been like an internal i'm just saying the four best movies ever made were produced by amy pascal after the email leaks Four best movies ever in any historical context ever made were Amy Pascal productions. She's doing five. Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse. That's one. That's one. Jobs. Little Women. Little Women. <laughs> she did not produce Steve Jobs. Did she? The Post. Oh, man. You fucking love The Post. Yeah, I do love The Post. And you, the reason you thought it was Steve Jobs is because you didn't do Steve Jobs, but she did produce yeah. Molly's Game. Oh, there we <laughs> go. There we are. How fucking good is Molly's game? I don't like Molly's game. <laughs> That's so stupid. I've talked you to you about like, this. I know I've you. talked to you about this. And I'm like trying to remind you that it's it's so good. Uh, I, There's a case for, for us watching it on this podcast at some there point. There is. So when I talk we'll, we'll just get to Sarah. it. We'll just get to it when we fucking get to when it. When I talk you into the Sarah series. Have you seen the adults yet? Uh, No. Michael Sarah's new movie that's also a poker movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Is this the one where he does the the um Tony Soprano impression? Yeah, I've seen that clip. It's a good Tony Soprano impression. It's 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 jarringly accurate. It is one of the best movies of the year. All right, I'll give it fucking rules. I will look it up. Doesn't rule. crazy you know it does rule tender mercies is a pretty tender good mercies i haven't watched tender mercies in like five or six years i watched it once i don't even like bruce beresford that much tender mercies fucking rules right yeah it's a very touching movie yeah it's a very subtle film very subtle yeah. in ways that this, this go, swings completely uh, this this week uh listeners we we watched the um the scott cooper movie crazy heart Ugh. From, are we in two thousand nine? Is that where we 2009. are? Two thousand and nine. This is the last of the two thousand nines because we did them out of order. We yeah. don't rec- we haven't recorded uh... in a month. <laughs> 
it's a Scott Cooper's first film of his directorial career. Uh, stars Jeff Bridges, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Colin Farrell. Rob does does Robert Duvall count as starring in this? I don't know. It's hard. I like almost punched the fucking wall when Duvall <laughs> showed up in this thing. Yeah, um, but this is the one that uh won uh Mr. Bridges his um Academy yeah, Award, this right? Is, yeah. This is the first of uh actually like weirdly sparse number of Oscar winners we're gonna talk about on this show. Uh we I feel we we've talked about a few already. Winners, winners. Yeah, yeah. We've only talked, talked about, about nominees. No, no, no. Jamie Foxx. No, 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 no. Oscar winning movies. Oh, movies that have won Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get what you're saying. If um, I, I, there's there's another one, and it might be Fantastic Beasts, and I have to go look that up right now. If it's not, I think this yeah, might actually be. I'm trying to think. Have, has, have none of the films that we've nope. watched won not a single award? Not a single one. Okay. A couple of them have been nominated. So just to, to run through this, I should have written this down. Minority Reports. Minority Report lost the new world uh, visual effects to Attack of the Clones, which I remember. No, very Minority Report was not memory. even. It was only nominated for sound, I think, or like it wasn't even nominated. Yeah, and, and Attack yeah. of the Clones won special effects. So Minority Report was an Oscar nominee. New World was an Oscar nominee. In Bruges was an Oscar nominee. Parnassus was an Oscar nominee. Oh, what was Parnassus nominated? We for? we talked about this, like costumes and, and art direction. Okay. Yeah, we we talked about this on that episode. It's been so long since we recorded. I don't. Um, I I you know I I have a great respect for um those craftsmen, uh, but I, it's difficult for me to retain nominees um outside of that's the fine. like main six. Um, I can I have just double checked this. I can confirm that we have at least one other winner in the future. It could uh, be fantastic. I feel like fantastic. It's fantastic. Beasts it's, yeah, won. it's fantastic. Yeah. It's beasts. Did it Batman effects, win right? something? No, Batman did not win something. This is a scintillating conversation. Anyway, yeah. Crazy Heart won two Oscars. We'll get to it when we get to it. Which is crazy. <laughs> this movie's bad. This movie really sucks. Um. Yeah. No. I. I I'm just I gonna don't like fucking put my chips on the table right now. I was gonna. I was gonna come in. I was gonna come <laughs> into you and be like, like you know. I don't think I like this movie. I kind of wish this will be our shortest episode of the podcast because uh, as opposed to like other movies that I've actively disliked that we've covered, I feel like I've had a lot to say about why I didn't like those films. And this this one, like to me, kind of feels more like an like an empty attempt of a project, if you get there, what I'm saying. There's just, yeah, there's I mean, something I, I, there's something a bit hollow and soulless about it that bridges god bless him is able to kind of like surpass just due to his professionality his professionalism but uh, i can't get on board with the whole like bridges is good thing and like, like in general no no, no god this. no in this i was gonna i was like what the fuck are you talking about because <laughs> like I, I, well, never I think movie. in my opinion, Cole, this is yeah. of I, I haven't seen his entire filmography. He's made sure. like 80 movies. He's made quite movies. a few movies. Yeah. Um, seven time Oscar nominee. Seven time Oscar nominee. Quietly a seven time Oscar nominee. I've probably seen like 25 or 30 of his films. I think this is my second least favorite performance. Ooh, what's 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 least favorite performance? 
Interesting. My what's, Grand Canyon. You want to know what my Grand Canyon? For what's your Grand Canyon is? for bridges? Do I? Have it's it? um, it's um, the film with Jane Fonda. I believe it's called The Morning After. Oh, I've never seen that. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I like. I I can't necessarily describe to you why I don't like it, other than the fact that like, I I. Why? almost don't i almost don't comprehend like what his position is within the film both as jeff bridges like the real man cultural figure being cast in the movie and also who his character is supposed to be in the film <laughs> because um he plays like he plays like a disabled ex-police officer who it, it's a it's an erotic thriller almost it's like a, a faux erotic thriller and I, th- I think for the bulk of the runtime, you're supposed to be like on guard that Bridges is the villain of the film. Sure. Um, but he is such a buffoon that it like completely derails any of the um, tension that you're supposed to be uh, reckoning against in any given scene. Um, and it's the one movie that I've seen that he's in that it seems like he himself, while they were making the film, did not understand like what he was supposed to be doing on camera. Um, nor did he have like a really like strong position to add a flair that like would develop a character in, in any given direct direction. His character is also it's like a running joke that his character is really uh, bigoted, but i i don't like other than spoiling the movie like it which it which wouldn't even like which wouldn't even contribute to me saying that i don't think it's, it's a good a, performance yeah. it's a sydney lumet picture i'm gonna watch it don't spoil it no yeah have you seen jagged edge yes i have seen yeah it, edge. I, it, I just watched jagged edge the morning after wants i i i believe the film wants you to see bridges's character the same way that you like view his character in jagged edge so i was actually about to throw this out i was just looking at like what are the bridges movies i've seen jagged edge is probably my least favorite bridges performance but i don't even think he's that bad in it like that movie's just like a bit of a train wreck yeah um a movie i kind of (laughs) like um but but what i was what i was saying was like it's not necessarily that i think bridges is bad and crazy heart i think bridges is fine in crazy heart but i, I think also... he is like just to just to finish my thought yeah what i was gonna say is it's my second least favorite performance of his that i've seen because to me he looks very bored and he looks like he's just playing the numbers of like how this character is supposed he, to come he across. is yeah he is playing the numbers but i also know that like I watched this movie for the first time today in 2023. And I today. Didn't see... Yes. You watched it for the first time today. Yes. Oh wow. Yes. This morning. Um and so I didn't see it in 2009. And like reading reviews from this movie and like the reviews being generally positive, but this like the black hole at the center of this movie's discourse being this like, you know, quote unquote extraordinary, undeniable Jeff Bridges performance. And I'm here in 2023 being like, we're a year away from true grit, right? Like, yeah. th- th- if 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 this movie can't escape the orbit of the Bridges performance, 
the, the Bridges performance can't escape the orbit of the next Bridges performance. And I know it's almost like hacky to say that they gave Bridges and Colin Firth the wrong Oscars, but they really <laughs> yeah. did give Jeff Bridges and Colin Firth the wrong Oscars. Like if they had switched those, it's it's a much better world. Which is it's kind of um, <laughs> it's 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 pretty. Just think about it in this sense, like like you said, True Grit comes out in 2010, um, as opposed to this film coming out in 2009. Uh, but you know when you just think about the way that like the film industry actually functions, um, in uh mechanical terms it's like everybody that's voting at the academy wars knows that this coen brothers remake of uh (laughs) of a john wayden film is like on the horizon so it is it is in a sense it's kind of funny that they were so quick to pull the trigger give it to him on this film in 2009 i guess but like you also have to remember there's this sense of like I know that there's a sense of urgency, but uh, but wait to True Grit because it's the movie that fucking John Wayne won his Oscar for. I think that, there's like, a weight to it because it's a Coen Brothers film, and I think it's like you see this movie, you see this Scott Cooper very low budget, kind like functionally made film, and you know that the Coen Brothers like epic western is right on the horizon. And you know that's a it's it's a remake of a film that already has like Oscar history behind it. And you know that Bridges is probably casting that film in a position to to really like cement his place in modern what? new millennium cinematic history. So it is kind of like if you just had a little bit more faith, you could have just waited that extra year and give you it had also, given it to him. You also have to remember though that like award season loves surprises. I know that like this is why fucking like million dollar baby won as many Oscars as it did. I'm not shocked that he won from this film. I'm just saying like I'm just saying like the true grit coming out and being a much better performance and a much better movie in general is not that is not a surprise to the people who are in this body who are voting on these awards sure, but that's the, movie, that's just the argument that i'm trying to make is like I those think, people those people weren't when true grit came out they were they their reaction wasn't oh if only we knew this movie was coming out we would have held it's like they knew it was happening okay okay yeah. but but you're you're thinking of true grit is on the horizon as a Coen Brothers movie, and and you're thinking that that's that's a Coen Brothers movie that you have already seen, and that you know was this is their biggest hit. Like that's their biggest hit. Is I don't it really know if you knew like box office wise? Undeniably, nothing else comes close. Um, interesting. But, and, well, that. until I buy Fargo doesn't billion. Fargo doesn't come close to no, no. to True Grit. Fargo was tiny. I my my like imagination of Fargo is that it was a phenomenon. No, it was not. Um oh it only made sixty million dollars. Yeah. Which was big for what it was. Okay, let's see here. Yeah, and um, Trigger made two hundred and fifty two million dollars. Yeah, but you're saying like this movie, domestic box office. Um, yeah, their next highest grossing movie is No Country, which this movie like doubled the Trigger doubled the gross of. Um, actually, no their next highest grossing movie is Angelina Jolie's Unbroken, um, that they wrote. But oh, I forgot that they wrote the script to that. Here's here's my point. 
you know that true grit is good. But in 2009, right, when True Grit gets announced, you can be like, the Coen brothers just won an Oscar. They're remaking True Grit. Or you can be like, oh, fuck, the Coen brothers are doing another remake. I saw the Lady Killers. Because because what are the Coen brothers actually coming off of? They're coming off of No Country, Burn After Reading, and A Serious Man. No, they're coming off of Burn After Reading. Serious Man oh, because a Serious opened, Man hasn't come out yet. I, has, I get is opening, has yeah. just opened a movie that people had a difficult time with. Burn After Reading is like a bit of a disaster, right? Like the idea that, 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 that this obvious second option is staring them in the face is not in fact that obvious because the Coen brothers can like not give you what you want. You know, yes, I I do think that I mean, just think about it this way. Like, it's the same genre in essence as No Country for Old Men. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. It becomes an easy it becomes an easy case is what I'm saying. It, it, it could be a very difficult yeah. case. You it don't, could be. If, no one if, no one thinks like that at the Oscars. They don't actually think that holistically. Well, I would argue me, that people don't really think. which drives me crazy they should think a little more holistically but like it's it was never the 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 thing that i'm suggesting was never going to happen that's not the way that the that's not the way that this voting body that's not the habits that it it enacts it they they it's bridges this is like the perfect scenario that happens repeatedly throughout oscar history of an older actor who has been nominated multiple times yet never won and then it feels like you can see the clock ticking and we're running out of time. And he but has it's... a performance that is lauded and it's an easy one to give the award to. But you, you're, you're, you're missing the, the point I'm trying to make. Now, let, let, let me make this point. Okay. Right. It's not just that the clock is ticking for Bridges. That is a big part of it. Jeff Bridges is a five-time Oscar nominee when this movie comes out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, but not only is he a five-time Oscar nominee, but he's someone who had gone away. He hadn't really been in anything until he comes back with Iron Man the year before. You want to talk about his two thousands? Let's talk about Jeff Bridges' two thousands. No, I mean, like he's still he's still working though. In what? I mean, he was nominated only nine years before. If you want to count that as like a full decade, a, a decade before. So, yeah. so no, 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 no. But no. he's in a film like every year. Throughout this decade, but, but but what films is he in? Let, let's 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 break this down. I want to break this down. Okay, okay. Because yeah. people miss this part of the Jeff Bridges arc, right? He gets an Oscar nomination for The Contender. He's like a legitimate movie star from the back from like eighty five to two thousand. He's like an actual honest to god a lister, right? And he gets a bunch of. I Oscar would go even. I would say from from probably seventy four through two thousand. He's a legitimate A-lister. Sure. He's, yeah. he's but he, he's hanging on late big star. Yeah. Gets an Oscar nomination for the He's contender. definitely his career has has only gotten bigger from his early success in the yes. in the early 70s throughout throughout the the completion of the 1990s. His career has only gotten bigger throughout that time. 2000 sporting actor nominee for the contender. Mm-hmm. Uh, great performance. I don't know if you've seen it. Incredible have, performance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he plays the president of the United States. <laughs> He's the best. He is the best fictional movie president of all time. Oh, that's a good. That's Undeniably. a good take. Deniably. Here's what. Here's here's what 
Jeff Bridges has going on for him in between the contender and Iron Man. Man's in K-Pax. Man's in Mastin Anonymous. Man's in Door on the Floor. Man's in Thailand. Man's in Stick It. Now, Stick It is the greatest movie ever made, ever. Like, kind of undeniably. But it's <laughs> not a hit. Now, you might want to say, I skipped something there. But he's so also good in Stick It. You have, you have to give him that. Stick it. Yeah, you have to give him that as well. Yo, yo, hold on. But, like, those movies I just listed are all... Not just bombs; they're like disasters. Which one? Which one are you saying that I'm Seabiscuit? No, is the I one? skipped. I skipped yeah, Seabiscuit. Yeah, yeah. But you no, know you're he... saying that I didn't. That I was going to bring up that you skipped yeah. it. But yeah. but but you know what happens with Seabiscuit? Uh, I mean, no. Tell me. No tell Oscar me nomination. Happened. Oh yeah, For Jeff. Yeah. In a year when the Best Picture winner had zero acting nominations. Jeff can't get an Oscar nomination for Seabiscuit. In a year where they need to fill fucking slots, Jeff yeah. can't get an Oscar nomination for Seabiscuit. This is my point. Like, that's literally why he's an Iron Man, because everyone in Iron Man is people they can get for cheap. Everyone, we've, we've talked about this on the show, that besides Terrence Howard, everyone in Iron Man is in a career law, right? Mm-hmm. So that's part of it is that, like, People are faced with a good Jeff Bridges performance, and they're like, shit, is this the last one? Obviously, it wasn't, but it's that. Here's I the agree other with thing. you. I was just saying he didn't he didn't disappear completely. No, he didn't disappear. It wasn't, he's in flops. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying, is that like he's done in the other sets. Yes, yes, yes. I agree with you. Nothing's going right for him. And that, that plays into the idea of like, like and when the contender comes out in 2000, he's been nominated so frequently up until that point that even though he doesn't win, it feels like, oh, well, we're only a couple years away from the next one that's going to happen. And then a Honor, full nine years pass between this that. He was supposed to go direct a video. <laughs> there were rumors it was going to get sold off to TV. Right. Like, that's what the movie we're talking about is. Yeah. And it's something that fucking Fox Searchlight like buys out and fucking yeets to critics right as they're doing their voting for for end of year stuff and that's what it is with this movie is that you're faced with this weird best actor field uh which is renner in hurt locker maybe too fresh firth in a single man that movie's like a little too small and too esoteric and clooney in up in the air never happening in a million years but those are your best actors those are your real best actor contenders yeah and then fox Searchlight like lobs you this like fucking like falling down drunk old man like fucking literally ripping off what won duval his oscar from this like aging great movie star who hasn't been in anything notable in really in 10 years right mm-hmm. right before you got to fill out your ballots that's all it is with this movie is that like it's a surprise it, like the field had grown stagnant and they got this movie out timing wise right and it worked and it won and him it an works. oscar yeah that's all there is to say about this movie is that it won jeff bridges an oscar <laughs> and its legacy is mostly like weird that that's jeff bridges oscar win does he um here's my question for best uh original song award terrible field 
Does that award go to the songwriters? Is that who it goes to? Yes, it goes to because I've never actually like it goes. Yes, it goes I've to never actually like looked at it that deeply. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ryan Bingham and T Bone Burnett are the Oscar winners for this year. I couldn't. I I could not like. I just watched this movie. I could not. Um, I just rewatched this movie. I haven't seen it for the first time today. I, I could not like tell you how that song goes. It's a very boring. Okay. We should do a plot synopsis, but then like you said, you have nothing to say about this movie. I have one... I, it's not nothing necessarily. It's more just like this movie just floats by. Like I have I mean... like one big thing to say about this movie that <laughs> okay. like drives me crazy. But okay. like Connor, tell the people what this movie's about and then we'll get into it. All right, everybody. Scott Cooper's 2009 film, uh, Crazy Heart. It's about uh, Bad Blake. He's a 57-year-old country music singer. He uh, is just going from motel to motel in sad southwestern towns playing um, <laughs> playing makeshift concerts in bowling alleys and cafes and uh, dive bars um, to make a living. Uh, he's an alcoholic and everything is going down 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 for him um he used to be the mentor to a a very popular country singer named tommy sweet who's played by our guy colin farrell in this film um wait colin farrell's in this movie i don't even know how to like (laughs) i don't even know how to wrap this together (laughs) um so but seemingly from the generosity of tommy sweet who wants to like repay his mentor for teaching him the ways of of country music artistry and and being in that world um starts inviting him on larger tour dates to open for him and is really hammering bad blake to write him original songs that that he can release as singles for his solo act and then once their solo act once his solo act has taken another step then then they could uh do an album together in collaboration with each other um does that really play into this film not really <laughs> in any way whatsoever uh while this is going on um bad blake begins a relationship with um a young woman whose name i can't remember who's played by maggie gyllenhaal uh she is um, the, the the third oscar nomination for this movie yes. and the one that doesn't win uh this character is introduced as being an aspiring music journalist uh so she comes into bad blake's world wanting to write a profile about him um they begin a relationship she is a single mother has a kid from a previous relationship and despite uh blake's like horrifying alcoholism i i think is the way the film wants you to see it as um there there's literally a sequence where uh, he gets in a car accident and breaks his ankle and the doctor in the emergency room is like, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to have everything that can medically go wrong with a human being is going to happen to you. You're going to have a stroke. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have kidney failure, liver failure, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, I, I think, is even thrown out there. Um, despite all that, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal continues seeing him until uh she makes a really bad parenting decision and lets bad blake look after her son alone while they are were they in dallas when that happens it doesn't matter 
Yeah. Some larger Texan city, uh, Blake and her son, Buddy, are walking around and Buddy gets lost uh, because Blake wants to go get a drink at a bar. And uh, yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal breaks up with him. He gets sober with his buddy, Robert Duvall, who just shows up in this film and um, uh, starts making music again with Colin Farrell, conceivably. Did I miss well, anything he, like really important? What, what, it, what it is, is that he he writes, he 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 actually completes songs that he gives to Tommy Sweet, where Tommy yeah. Sweet can release them as as singles. And, and he kind of gets his yeah. career back on track as a songwriter. Yeah. So at at the crux of that ending is this song that he writes that won the Oscar, which is called The Weary Kind, which I also is just like never I've heard it a thousand times. <laughs> it just flirts right out of my brain. But like listeners go listen to it. Connor, you have a general sense of the tenor of that song, right? Even if you couldn't like hum it, you like vaguely have like an idea of what it sounds like in your head. Um Sure, if you okay. want to call it that. Yeah. This movie comes to me. Out. It feel Colt to me. It feels like I do not remember listening to that song. Like I know sure. I've heard that song, but I can't. You, I, I cannot recall the experience of having heard that. Song. Just, just let me get on the runway yeah. here. Within the text of the movie, this song is is like this big artistic triumph for Bad Blake. It's the best song he's ever written, but it's also a hit right like mm-hmm. he gives yeah. it to Tommy and 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 it becomes like a big like hit for Tommy that like the royalties just start pouring in this movie comes out in December 2009 right yeah you know what's going on in December 2009 in country music i i literally have no idea cuz i can tell you cuz it's actually a pretty big moment for country music okay uh, hit it it's hit when me with fucking it. It's that's the when this movie comes out, this movie comes out dead smack in the middle of the fucking monster run of Need You Now by Lady Antebellum. Oh, and okay. if, if you want to talk Wild. about what is actually popular in country music, when the, it's very much not the sound of the songs that are played in this, the T Bone yeah. Bernetti like sensitive singer songwriter stuff it is and i don't mean this to shit on these socks because that's kind of the point i'm trying to make here it's those like super slick hook driven like country ballads that kind of have been carrying over the entire decade like these are the people who have number one country hits in 2009 rascal flats Blake Shelton, <laughs> Keith Urban, Darius Rucker, George yeah. Strait, Jason Aldean, right? These are fucking like Nash, Taylor Swift, uh, Toby Keith. These are fucking Carrie Underwood, Casey Zach Brown. No, not yet. <laughs> These are you said over like, the decade. No, I'm saying in 2009 oh, when exactly. this movie is okay, set, yeah. that is the actual commercial dominance of country music. Is this super radio friendly traditionalist? like smooth pop right yeah it is not this like sensitive singer songwriter stuff there were two things i noticed jeff bridges kept on saying in interviews from 2009 promoting this movie the first is that one of the primary people he looked to as an inspiration for like who bad blake was as a songwriter is leonard cohen leonard cohen is not a country musician did you notice this 
I actually I haven't I haven't had a chance to read okay. any of the interviews. Okay, yeah. good. You're he teaching said that me. a couple times, yeah. and I'm like, okay, Leonard Cohen's not a country musician, Jeff. He's a singer songwriter. Mm. That might be more in line with what the songs that Bad Blake writes in this movie are. It's not country music. Here's the second one. He said this in every single interview, and every single time the fucking Kill Bill sirens went off. He said that one of the first things Scott Cooper ever said to him was that if Bad Blake were real, he would have been in the Highwaymen. Oh, do wait. you know who the Highwaymen are? <laughs> yeah, I do know who the Highwaymen are. That we're we're talking like the age is off by like twenty it, years, right? Yeah, I don't even care about the age. So, <laughs> listeners, for the record, the Highwaymen was a group. In wait, the wait, 19- can, I, can I just can I just say before you even explain it, if yeah. that was true, if that was a thing that was that existed within the canon of this film, there is no way in hell that this guy is going to be broke playing in bowling oh, alleys when the film that's, begins. Yeah. That's why my fucking like red alert went up. So the Highwaymen was a group in the 1980s. They're a good group. They were the literally men, a super group. They are. They are a country. Literally a super group. A super group. Do you want to yeah. say who the Highwaymen are? Uh, it's it's a uh, Willie Nelson. Yep. It's Johnny Cash. Yep. It's Chris Christopherson, which the I thought about guy, a lot. The guy because... this character is clearly modeled after visually. Well, what what I was gonna say was the craziest thing about Bridges's Bridges' career post this film is that he essentially becomes Hollywood's next Chris Christopherson. Yes, that can be placed in all of these films as like the modern cowboy holdover from yes. the ideal of Americana in the Wild West. And Who's then, the fourth? I can't remember. It's Waylon it's way Jennings. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I have, I have, I have two things with this, which is that first of all, yes, that was my immediate first thought was that those four guys are hugely famous. Like this guy is this like down on his luck burnout. Um, yeah, this guy is like a, a, a D this guy at like the height of his fame would have been a D lister. So me reading that, like Scott Cooper thought of him on the level of those guys, fame wise, talent wise is insane. Secondly, you get into this whole thing of like, wait, he always said, if bad Blake is real, he would have been a high woman. Does that mean that Waylon Johnny Willie and Chris don't exist in the universe of Crazy Heart. You can go down this whole fucking psycho like that. Okay, I think that that's but, that's going way too far. But, but here's my my real point about this movie yeah. is the great country music historian uh, Tyler Mahan Co has said on multiple occasions, son of David Allen Co, who's one of the big you know outlaw country guys, has said on multiple occasions that there's this like constant conversation about authenticity in country music that traditionally pits like the excesses and the machine nature of Nashville against like real singer songwriter types. Yeah. But Tyler Mahan co makes the very good point that like, that's not actually a real conversation that's actually ever happening in country music. That is something that people who don't listen to country music assume to be true about country musicians who make rock music i.e outlaw country yeah and like this is true all those guys in the highwaymen pull in elements of rock music to their music to like build fucking authenticity but like 
Waylon Jennings can write, are you sure Hank done it this way? He is still a part of Nashville. He would never say he's not. Willie Nelson wrote crazy, like the purest example of the Nashville sound there ever was. Johnny Cash is a fucking machine country singer, right? Like these guys aren't these like rough and tumble artists existing outside of the country music industry. They're A-listers in the country music industry. And that's true of anyone that like, there is no, this, this tension that people who don't like country kind of speak of is this like real country versus fake country doesn't actually exist. If you listen to these people's music, because it's all intermingled and changing and shifting and adapting to sounds of the time. And this is a movie by people who don't listen to country music, (laughs) right? Who have this idea of like, I I, I would gesture that on the road. I would gesture that what you just said, that this is a movie made by people who don't who who aren't ingrained within country music as as their like culture of choice yeah, is very prominent from like. I think you only need to be like 25 minutes in to like kind of start getting that feeling. The crux of it just doesn't make sense in a way. And it's not just this level of like how famous is bad Blake supposed to be. It's that like. The covers sound like country, but the originals don't. And Tommy Sweet feels like so completely divorced from any broader industrial context. And he doesn't have like a sound. I, I, he's supposed to be Tim McGraw, right? I think so. But, I think that's the only logical like suggestion that it's it's probably Tim McGraw. But I don't think Scott Cooper knows anything about Tim McGraw. He just knows he's famous. And he's and he's supposed to be yeah I don't I don't know man it, like he's supposed to be Tim McGraw but he's styled like Eddie Vedder and it's like there 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 is no musical fingerprint of Tommy Sweet if you understand yes. what I mean like the second that Colin Farrell steps steps into the film and begins performing music it feels like it's the most generic representation of a country music superstar that there is almost in the way that it's like a non-comedic parody of a country music superstar, just in the sense to like get the idea across to the viewer of like, this is who this, this is how successful this guy is. And please just understand that in relation to where bad Blake is in his career. If you get what I'm saying, like it's, it's pure plot device. The characterization of Tommy sweet is pure plot device to relate to where bad Blake is at any given moment in time. Which when yes. you're taking when you're looking at this movie as a whole, which is a movie that's supposed to like luxuriate in the texture of country music, it's the the biggest chip of the facade when you start yeah. seeing like auxiliary country music musicians who just seem to be uh so but just ma- so divorced who just, yeah. from twenty ten two thousands country, right? And like synthetic synthetic scene dressing to like act as country, but it's not true country. And like, I think this movie thinks it's saying it's that this is true country, but it's so divorced from what is actually true country, which is I'm going to go ahead and say this true country is what is being played on country radio at this given second. Right. That is all that true country is. There's no fucking real country that you can get down to the crux of it all exists in conversation with itself 
right? Waylon Jennings is as good as Glenn Campbell. Well, that that's uh, it, this you, you're bring, so like you're bringing up a point of conflict that you're reading into this film, which the film never really necessarily puts forth as a point of conflict. Which you're like you're putting this this idea of like why at the beginning of the film is Bad Blake unsuccessful, yeah. and is it because he's a songwriter when he should be like a materialistic musician, uh, um, uh, an aesthetic musician to like play entertainment and not necessarily engage in art which is this question that the, the question you're talking about is 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 pro- country music product versus country music art which you're saying is, is a thing that doesn't actually exist in yeah. reality but you're putting that forward as being like a point of conflict within this film but no, the film I'm itself that's the film itself never goes far enough hacks. no i'm saying yeah. that's this movie is made by people this movie is made by people who don't like country music and therefore presume that is true of country music. And that is yes, why the I'm... only people they cite in interviews are outlaws who I... have this like <laughs> we're real country music rep to them for rock fans. I'm I'm a, I'm agreeing with you. And what I'm saying is yeah. I think even that essence is also a part of this facade because it doesn't yeah. go it doesn't go, a better like a film that was actually interested in this discussion between somebody who is writing and making music in order to meet market demand as opposed to somebody who is writing music that feels important to them that feels important to their soul that's like an act of pure artistic expression is is not is that 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 is not featured in this movie at all which would be which you know people who are interested in film in this sense i would find would be interested in that to see something like that and there are movies like a star is born has has areas of that and and i think that's that's probably the most if not like one of the more interesting aspects of that film and there there are there are other films too um that push harder in that direction i think if the film wants to feel authentic it has to actually understand what it's like to live within that mental space as somebody who is trying to decide who they are as an artist in any given particular moment of time well, I, I actually thought about A Star is Born a lot while watching this because A Star is Born is also, like you said, yeah, this movie that I think is concerned very, very literally with notions of artistry versus commercialism as like how whether or not they can be reconciled. A Star is Born is also a movie that's like impossible to plot like what this is meant to represent towards the real <laughs> music industry yes, but stars yes. born is so strange and so like such an act of bravura that like i don't necessarily watch a star is born and feel like this is meant to take place in a recognizable reality like you, i you, yes you take that movie at face value as like it tells you this is the music industry in the world it wants to tell the story and you're like sure i buy it this movie is essentially taking place in the real world I think that film, if we're going to compare this to A Star is Born, I think there's an aspect of A Star is Born 2 that is so interested in the act of making music as an important, connective, collaborative yes. relationship-building activity that people can engage with together that it doesn't necessar- it doesn't need to represent reality of any, like any industrial reality. What what's his name? Jackson Maine, right? Yes. Stars Born. Like Jackson Maine does not have to be 
somebody who exists in the real world that you like look at the screen and you're like oh that he's supposed to be yes. Darius Rucker that's not what that movie's no. trying to do that no. movie's trying what that movie is attempting to do is bring that type of what it feels like to make music that's important to you it's supposed to like bring that experience to the viewer which is what i think that movie does well the music in a star is born sounds like it does because that's the music that that cooper and gaga were interested in writing yeah that like super rootsy americani stuff <laughs> and they kind of wrote the script around that so if you compare it to if you compare it to crazy heart which yeah. i'm just laughing at which is kind of ridiculous considering like this is an academy award winning film but what well, hey, hey has one more this, oscars than a star is born did this yeah exactly this but crazy heart doesn't do anything to actually like reveal truth about the experience of being of maybe not necessarily like being a mu capital M musician, but being a musician as in like your profession in your life is oriented towards making music. And like, I mean, what does that mean? What effect does that have on you? So another, another thing though with this is that, so when, when Jeff Bridges was first offered this project um, and this project for the record was born of a failed Merle Haggard biopic um, that uh, that Cooper couldn't get off the ground. Um, and then he found this novel and was like, oh, this kind of hits all the fucking fetish points of the outlaws. That's literally, I'm not quoting him directly, but that's basically what he said is the Merle Haggard project fell apart and someone gave him the novel. And this is like, oh, this is everything I like about Merle and Chris and Willie and Johnny. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that there's what it is, right? It's that you have this idea of these guys in your head and you don't actually care. I wish I wish when, that uh I I knew better like what the actual actual texture of the novel is yes. too. Because the novel came out in the 80s and and the world of the the music industry of the different. 80s is is a, a it's a different world entirely than the the one in 2009 that this film is supposed to uncover. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like it's not any more real, you know. Like yeah, yeah. Nashville still is fucking sweet as it's ever been, and it always will be. And God bless it for it. No, but um, I mean, like we, yeah. we we're gonna have to compare this to Tender Mercies at some point as well, just because of Tender the, Mercies is the great. obvious this, this effect. Sticks. No, but there but there but, is, there is an aspect of Tender Mercies too. Having is that 1980 when it came out? 82, 83. Yeah, well, having come out in the early 80s, there is an aspect to Tender Mercies as well in the non-digitized world that like it is believable that somebody of not a-list popularity but that somebody of meaningful popularity could just step away from it all and like disappear out into the ether this the the, the, the script comes together after this merle haggard thing falls apart mm -hmm. cooper writes it he gets duvall attached early because i guess he and duvall are very close uh scott cooper used to be an actor and he's worked with duvall on many occasions um they give it to Bridges. Bridges turns it down because um, the, this, there, there are no, like, he's like, I, I have no idea what this sounds like. That's basically what he says, right? That he's like, yeah, come back to me with some songs and we'll talk. So they go to Tebow and Burnett and get Burnett attached. And Burnett and Bridges are, I guess, old friends. And then Bridges decides to come on when Tebow and Burnett's attached. This is the fucking original sin of this movie. Connor, 
T-Bone Burnett is not a country musician. <laughs> He's an Americana rock musician. Yeah. Those are two different genres. You're starting from the wrong place from the beginning. And the idea. He wrote that, the like, Oh Brother music. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's not country music. That's not fucking country music. That's great. It's not country music. The involvement of T-Bone Burnett becomes like the glue that like snaps this movie together is like the ultimate case for me that like this is a movie about country music by people who don't actually like country music because they are drawn to sounds like T-Bone Burnett and not to actual country music because people who don't like country music I think tend to prioritize stuff like that. It's the same thing with like people who don't like pop music preferring the Lady Gaga ballads well, to the Lady to, Gaga dance tracks. To take it a step forward, like I, I just I don't necessarily I do question why this movie is a country music movie. It could as it could have easily it could have easily been essentially the same story, but about a, a blues or a rockabilly musician like traveling through the South mm. as you know, opposed to the Southwest. Been, could have been a movie about a professional wrestler. Which is the other fucking elephant in the room we're not talking <laughs> yeah, about here. That that that's that's also very true. But but you get what I mean. It's like that would yeah. that it seemed like just a switch of genre would would much better fit um, what Bridges is is at yes. least attempting to do with the role. I'm also I'm just gonna throw this out there to you. I'm I'm tired of watching so many movies about musicians who are just being hammered by alcoholism and just like can't get their shit together and there's just like obligatory scene after obligatory scene of them fucking something up because they yeah. can't kick the habit um, i will say that that is my, my favorite part about this movie is that he kind of just gets sober and stays sober um which is I, not... I i appreciate that but i think I, i've been thinking about i've just been thinking about it so much i think part of what aside from the aesthetic and difference of subtlety that Tender Mercies has from Crazy Art. Tender Mercies is also a film about a man struggling to be sober, while this is a film about a guy who's just going off the rails because he's drunk all the time. Yeah. And I, I just I find the idea of somebody struggling who who has like corrected the issue and is struggling to continue on with the corrected issue is a lot more compelling to me than the person who's just a living train wreck who's because because it becomes so predictable where it's like at every turn it's like okay how's he gonna mess this thing up how how is how is it gonna get even worse than it is now oh there's a good there's a there's a point of positivity in his life how is it gonna end up crumbling away because of said yeah. vice that ex-musician of whatever film has i, I think it's I a bigger issue it. with the biopics than it is with fictional yes. pieces but i this this film essentially co-ops the form of a of a musical biopic i mean anyways. as i said yeah. literally it's he made it because he couldn't get uh an actual biopic off the ground yeah which would have been terrible oh my <laughs> god you, you'll be shocked to hear this he was interested in uh, the period of time that Merle Haggard spent in prison. Oh, God. You, you'll be shocked to hear that that's what attracts him to Merle Haggard and not, like, the fucking... Not the music? Not the music, <laughs> not... not the fact that, like... What was the last Merle Haggard album? You ready for this? You want to know when the last Merle Haggard album was? This is what interests me about this shit. No, last Merle know. Haggard album was in 2015. 
they they man they just they fucking pump it out that's the life that's the life merle haggard's merle haggard's first number one country hit was in 1966 and his last number one country hit was in 1987 like these guys are so much more than the fucking like hard scrabble image he had a number one country hit duet with Clint Eastwood in 1980. I'm going to listen to that when we are <laughs> done with this podcast. Do you, um, wow, do you like Thunderbolt and Lightfoot? I've actually never seen Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Hmm, interesting. I think it's have a. Have you seen Thunderbolt and Lightfoot? I have. I it's I I wouldn't put it in my Rushmore if we're yeah. gonna go down that route. If we want uh, to just wondering because that's the one yeah. Eastwood film that they share that he and yes. share, right? Uh, Chimino's first film, yeah. Uh, let me let me let's run down Bridges's Oscar nominations though, because I do think it's important. Because again, I don't, I think, especially because you know, the fucking specter of Lebowski hangs over him to such a degree, and the idea yeah. that that was a movie that was like underappreciated in his time i think people don't clock that jeff bridges is a uh, seven-time oscar nominee mm. so it's nominated in like his first right out the gate basically i know he'd been around as a child star for a while but like his first real role supporting nomination for last picture show maybe should have won for last picture show i'm just gonna go ahead and say that fucking fantastic yeah uh no disrespect yeah. to ben johnson in that movie but uh i, I really love I mean, my hot take is that Sybil Shepherd is like breathtaking in that movie. And I don't know if that's a hot take, man. People, when it came out, man, people. I don't know like that performance. I don't know if by today's standard that's a hot take. Okay, I love yeah. that performance. Um, yeah. Then he's nominated again in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which I've never seen. Um, it's then... it's an interesting it's an interesting nominee that nomination that doesn't necessarily occur in modern in like the modern oscars which yeah. it's one of those nominations where it's a silly film and he's asked to play multiple functions within the film he's the comic relief but he's also uh he's also like he's he's the true counterbalance to eastwood's like grizzled stoicism where you offset that with like proto stoner bridges who's young like i'm saying proto of what we're eventually going to see mm. with lebowski it's like you see very early vestiges of that in thunderbolt and lightfoot and they're like bandits like exploring the, yeah. the american west in the 70s together um but you have moments like extended sequences of uh bridges and drag uh yes. in that film like putting on lipstick um that's, that's what been I parodied parodied countless for. times by by sitcoms and cartoons uh, over the last 20 I mean, years yeah yeah you you know that chimino was almost certainly trans right yes yeah yeah that i'd be interested in in watching thunderbolt lightfoot knowing now that chimino well it, uh, it's it's it, it occurs like not to spoil the movie there's a big heist it's a heist movie yeah. that's not that's not necessarily a spoiler it it's a it's an aspect of the heist a distraction that bridges dresses up in drag um but i think what's funny about it is like it's not it is played for laughs just in the fact that it's this man who's been like obsessed with picking up prostitutes earlier in the film and doing very like yes he's comic relief but he's still aggro in the sense that like a fraternity guy 
is aggro who just like wants to drink beer and like get into male shenanigans with other guys the film itself doesn't have a point where like another male character is like look at that faggot or something like that that like other films of the 70s would would do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's it, it it's it's oddly like considering the the considering the cultural landscape of when that film came out it's like oddly accepting of the fact that his character is is dressing up like a hot woman and like almost enjoying the fact that he actually does look like a hot woman at that at that moment i'd be interested in watching yeah. it uh knowing uh knowing what we now know i mean i know i believe he winks at himself in the like i believe he when he's putting on the lipstick he winks at himself and he's just like i'm one hot bitch or something like that i (laughs) think like he delivers like a line i I can't remember what it is verbatim but it's something like that uh while he's wearing a very short dress (laughs) it has it has is really exposing his shaved legs that he seems like excited to show does he lose that thunderbolt oscar too he loses to De Niro in The Godfather 2. I mean, what's I mean, he gonna do? <laughs> that, what's he gonna, what's he gonna fucking do? Yeah, what's um, he gonna do? <laughs> then he's nominated uh in 85 for Best Actor for Starman, Woo! which is just like a fucking great performance. Woo! Loses to F. Murray Abraham in uh um Amadeus. Um and then Define think... country music. Mm-hmm. That's my oh. Starman impression. <laughs> um <laughs> that I think really kickstarts, but I really think is his real A-list period, which I really do yeah. think is bookended by those two nominations, Starman on one end and then the contender on the other, where he's nominated for playing the president. He loses to Benicio del Toro. He maybe should have won. What, uh, uh, what del Toro performance is that? Uh, traffic. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And then he wins for this 10 years later, and then he has what I really think are like the two like completing the trilogy of like grizzled old Texans. Uh, he's nominated yeah. for True Grit, loses to Colin Firth. He's nominated for Hell or High Water. I love that performance. Loses to Mahershala Ali. Um, traffic is one of those like I have like face amnesia with traffic where it's like I've seen it. I remember it. But when I'm thinking about film history, it's it like it's just a blind spot in my memory. It just that gets covered by a haze. Yes. So racist. <laughs> it is so, 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 so racist. It is mind-bogglingly racist. Um, it's okay. Uh, but he feels good. It is, let's just say, it's it's low on my Soderbergh list. He's like a DEA agent, right? In that With uh, Cheadle? You know, he's They're a like Mexican DEA cop. agents, aren't they? No, no. Uh-oh. No, Cheadle is. The, 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 they never shared a scene together. Those are two different narratives. All right. Yeah. Cheadle, Cheadle's DEA. Uh, Cheadle and Guzman are DEA. Guzman. Uh, God, yeah, yeah, okay. Del Toro yeah. is yeah. a Mexican cop. Um, And Mexico, for all, Mexico is orange. For all of you that don't know, yes. Mexico is orange. That is the movie that invented that. In its defense, every scene in that movie is shot through a filter like that. I know. It's... It, it is funny that like all of the narratives have different color schemas and And then one of them stopped and then hollywood was like no the naturalism like mexico got the naturalism part in that in that movie we have to shoot it like orange all the time now do we want to do a bridges i know this is the bridges episode i would like to yeah Yeah. um i think i start right 
Um, yes, you do. Yeah, because yeah. you did. You I do the two in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna be nice to you. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna do you a mitzvah. All right. Um, I mean, it's. I mean, I, I've thrown this thing out there right in the past. So like, what's your obituary movie? Like yeah. when Jeff Bridges dies, what are they gonna say? They're gonna say Jeff Bridges, star of the Big Lebowski. I mean, it, it is his best performance. It's it's a generationally like defining iconic, like performance. I was watching the other day. It just came up on my YouTube feed probably because I've been googling. I've been looking at Jeff Bridges' Wikipedia in preparation yeah. for this, like often, and just like googling his name. It came up on my YouTube feed. Um, when John Goodman was getting his Hollywood star and yes. Bridges pulled out the Lebowski character like at the ceremony. Yeah, he pulled which, out the, the the sweater. Yeah. No, but like he he <laughs> yeah. he went he went oh, into yeah. character to to yeah. to give a speech for um Goodman. And it, he yeah, literally pulled out the cardigan that that the dude wears. Um and it, I don't think it occurred to me like like as it came up in my feed, I went, Oh, that's interesting that he did that. And yes, John Goodman's in that movie. Um, so it makes contextual sense as well. Uh, but it is just interesting that for two men that have had such a long, such a storied, such a critically acclaimed careers that those two guys had, it it seems like such an obvious thing to do to pull out the dude yes. like during that pivotal moment for John Goodman's fame. Stick, stick with me here for a second. Uh, a thing I think a lot about is never been able to find this again i read it once i've never been able to like find it so maybe it's not true mm. but apocryphally I've, I've, i i remember reading once that ethan hawk said that his job on training day was to win denzel washington an oscar <laughs> yeah um, which i think is a very very good description of the performance ethan hawk is giving in training day that he's just like anchoring so much of that movie's emotional tenor so that Denzel can fucking just <laughs> turn on the heat and go to town and like yeah. steal the show. But like Ethan has the harder performance in that movie, right? Because mm -hmm. it's less sexy. For all that the dude is like the most iconic character of the 90s, right? And like for all that we can recall so many great things that Jeff Bridges is doing. Ultimately, all Jeff Bridges is doing is fucking throwing gag lines to every other person on screen, right? Yes, like yeah. he's he is fucking like holding down the center of that movie so everyone else can just fucking go to town. And like the the movie doesn't work if that performance isn't as fucking rock solid as Bridges's. I think that movie, it's it's good that the movie recovered from the initial kind of like confusion that people had when it came out. They didn't, the public didn't necessarily know what to make of it. And I think yeah. of this Howard Hawks quote all the time where he's talking about bringing up baby. And he said, the problem initially with bringing up baby was that every single character was a screwball. And exactly. there was no, there was no normal anchor to tether those characters. Yes. Um, so initially the audience didn't like, I think there are some films that have an issue where upon first viewing, you're like as the viewer and maybe, maybe not, maybe as more of a mainstream viewer and not somebody who's 
who's interested in looking at films in the sense where you're really like hunting for the directorial and aesthetic decisions that are being made by the artists who are working on the films, but just like a mainstream viewer, I think you're, as you're watching, you're kind of hunting for said character that you can identify with through which you can like perspective your lens upon what's happening in the film. And if you don't have, if you don't have the non screwball to align yourself with, then once that first viewing is over, you don't necessarily know what you were supposed to make of it. Mm -hmm. And it, it has to, you have to wait until the second rewatch yes. that you can like finally like appreciate it for what it is. And I think the Lebowski is like kind of like that yeah. in that I way. I mean, yeah. look at Burn After Reading uh, yes. as a movie yes. that doesn't yeah. have like a performance like the one Bridges is giving <laughs> exactly. to fucking anchor the movie. That's a very, that's a very, very yeah. good example. Yeah, it, it it had to do it. I wasn't gonna not do it. Uh, I got a fucking fastball for my second pick, so we're fine. I, I appreciate uh, you being uh nice to me for that. Um, yeah, but also I wanted to do it. Uh, what you got for me? My deal with Bridges is that I think the version of Bridges in Cutter's Way is my favorite version of Jeff Bridges. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Fuck you. Um, oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to pick it though. I'm just throwing that out there. Okay. Just because I, I I don't necessarily enjoy that movie, but I just think that's my like favorite okay. version of him. Okay. Um for my second pick, I think I'm going to go with uh this is a pretty obvious one as well. And I was kind of struggling between this and another one that's in a similar vein. But as we've said, I'm going to go with uh, his character from True Grit. And I just, I love that movie. I love that performance. It's, 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 a, it's also just a better version of what he's doing in Crazy Heart, right? Like Crazy Heart feels like the rough draft. If there's one thing that we haven't talked about that Crazy Heart is like a gift to mankind for is it just allowed every ca casting director to be like, we need a cowboy. Let's fuck yeah. it. We need an old cowboy. Let's get Jeff Bridges, which yeah. isn't necessarily like a thing that happened in his career before that point. Um, despite like Jeff Bridges, notably from LA. Yeah. If, I mean, <laughs> we do have to say this. <laughs> last picture show takes place in Texas, but like <laughs> he's not doing that. And I don't know. Is there, are there any other movies where he like, plays a cowboy before crazy heart i know he's not a, a cowboy in crazy heart but you, mean, you get what Texan. i mean yeah no if, well if anything he's like blue bloods a lot of the time yeah Tucker the he's Man a, a lot of the time a lot and this Winter is gonna Kills. come up this is gonna come up in a second but a lot of the time he when when his career really starts to hit a fever pitch he plays like successful white collar men yeah in a lot of these films um yeah. So it is a gift that that Crazy Heart has given us. Which, yeah, it's which such a weird that pivot. Jeff Bridges is a great cowboy. Yeah. Um, I I really 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 love True Grit. Um, I love his interplay with Matt Damon. I don't know. I like I don't have enough time to say all the good things about that movie that I want to say. Um, but what I will do is I think that's a difficult role because. There's no big Oscar-y monologue. There's no big sequence where that character gets to like allow his feelings to actually be heard, which is part of the cowboy deal, is that you're supposed to read it from the performance. They don't say, as as Tony Soprano 
<laughs> said about Gary Cooper, what happened to the strong and silent type? You you don't get that from the from those kinds of roles. You have mm-hmm. to you have to read into their sincerity, their vulnerability. Um, you have to read into their interconnectedness with the other characters that they're interacting with. And something about Bridges' ability to I don't know what specifically it is in his face, if it's his eyes or his cheeks or his brow, but he's he's able to give so much emotion without overplaying, without overacting, without stretching mm-hmm. into to any kind of um like abstraction of of um Ooh. of human of of you know <laughs> human nature. Uh he doesn't i guess what i'm trying to say is like i appreciate how naturalistic he is and when he gets to play a kind of outlandish character who's doing a lot aesthetically on screen he really anchors that in in a yeah. in a real emotionality that i think comes through oh um, for sure mm-hmm. the for one sure. i the one i was really tethering with was hell or high water uh, but I just like yeah, his no, character no. True Grit more. Hell or High yeah. Water is the better movie, but True Grit is the better performance. I, I think True Grit might be the better movie. Uh, I, I'm a little better on True Grit than a lot the more people are. Hell or High uh, Water is undeniably like a, a, a pretty fantastic film, mm, though. So, um, rules. so for the third pick, as I said, in the 90s, he a lot of times he played successful white collar men who are i yes he, he you know you know what's interesting about him is he played i think he he played directly his actual age which actors don't necessarily do this a is lot true yeah because he's and older i don't know if you've seen the movie fearless by a director that we're going to talk about ever seen i was Recently? i was looking at the 90s i was like is yeah. it gonna be fisher king is it gonna be more two faces is he gonna be the one person who likes the vanishing i've never seen fearless it's a movie i think about okay. like pretty often um because it's a for those for those of you who don't know like the quick pitch is that Bridges plays a man who uh, was on a flight to a business meeting and the flight, the the beginning of the movie is him walking out of a cornfield in the midst of a plane crash. And he survived the plane crash with, with other passengers on the plane. And it was about like half of them died and half of them survived and he survived and he's supposed to just go back to his normal life. And I think while that may sound like a very dry film to watch, you probably have a lot of expectations about these kinds of f- films that deal with the aftermath of like unexplained tragedy and how people react with it. I think what makes this one special, what makes his performance specifically s- special is that the movie is not interested in trying to explain how or why or what is accomplished when people are dealing with their grief okay. or just when people are dealing with kind of having their belief system shattered by something that happens in their life. And there are moments of this movie, which again is about like a pretty, pretty horrible and demoralizing event. Not, not, not a real event. It's based on a real plane crash, but it's, it's a a fictionalized take uh, on a, on a plane crash. Um, But there are moments of like 
pure ecstatic just just energetic life that really caught me off guard and i think bridges is able to something i think a lot when i'm watching good performances is an actor's ability uh as someone you just brought up ethan hawk's character in first reform talks a lot about kind of holding two truths at once holding Mm -hmm. hope and despair and i think if an actor is able to do that they're kind of able to conquer anything and when I watch that film, that is exactly what Bridges is doing. And it's maybe the best representation I've seen of that in any movie. And it's a messy movie and it's right. it's a humanistic movie and it's abstract and experiential. And you don't walk away from it thinking like, now that is the undeniably like a five-star film that I can recommend to everybody I've ever seen. But if you don't walk away from that movie in some sort of heightened state where you're really contending with like the beliefs that you've always held (laughs) about about what you want to do with your time on this planet i I don't i don't know what else can be more successful to say about a film that's attempting to do that all right yeah no i've never seen it it's it's one of those ones that i feel like even we're fans kind of gloss over um yeah, it's a hard you one because it. again, it's not like it's not a genre picture. Yeah. And it's not and 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 again, the premise sounds very dry. Like there's yeah. a hunt there's hundreds and thousands of these types of movies of like X horrible thing happens to somebody, how are they going to recover from it throughout the film? And this isn't necessarily about like the trial and tribulation of recovery after a traumatic event. It's more just like I think like the title really derives from like he was a man who thought he was going to die. So for a brief second, he had no fear. Yeah. And then he does not die. And then he does not know how to behave because for a brief second, he thought there was nothing else to live for. (laughs) And then he's just told to like, you have to go back to your wife and you have to go back to your kid and you have to just integrate back into society. And he just doesn't, he can't, he can't make sense of how to do that. Yeah. I'll check it out. I should I should just watch all the Peter Weirs. Yeah. Uh is that the next s- movie we're gonna do? That's literally the next movie we're gonna do is yeah. a Peter Weir movie. Um okay, my last pick. I, I do want to give a brief I'm not going with it. I do want to give a brief shout out to, as I already mentioned, uh the contender. Uh because that's maybe just like the most fun performance he ever <laughs> gave. Um but like as as good as he is in the contender that is kind of an easy performance to knock out the park right yeah because because it's such a juicy role on the page and because it's all fucking sizzle right mm-hmm. like it's yeah. the bit it's 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 getting to like pop his head in the room and like crack like a joke or two in it three or four scenes <laughs> and then this monster monologue at the end and he makes it all sing but i would feel bad giving an easy performance even if he should have won the oscar that year uh for that i'm gonna go with the hard performance uh and i i thought you were gonna steal this out from under me i i kind of knew you were gonna pick this yeah is yeah. it is it boring that i'm going with it no is it's it, not is it obvious? it's not obvious it feels that way to me now is it obvious um what, what would i think you would go with if you had two picks um let me think about it for one second i i i don't i don't think so uh 
we didn't talk about the Fisher King at all. He's I also we... he's really good in the Fisher King. I'm going I'm going with Cotter's way. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I always want to find favorite, like the weird It's my 80s. favorite version of him. I just that movie I don't <laughs> I really don't know what to make of. And I just can't I can't I have, consider I it as my two... pick because I have two things that I want to say about the Cutter's White performance. Yeah. The first is that it is maybe the purest example of that sort of like all stake, no sizzle thing that I've been talking about with Ethan Hawke, right? That like, because John Hurd is just so fucking big <laughs> in that movie. But it's it's literally in the it's text. It's an all-time big performance. It's an all-time, like... <laughs> but it's literally in the text of the movie, right? That, like, yeah. <laughs> that that Bridges is trying to, like, ground his friend as his friend has this psychotic break, yeah. right? So that Bridges has to be, like, the actual protagonist of the movie. Has to weather, like, so much of the emotional stuff with the girlfriend. Because Hurd has just lost his mind. and is, Which is also, frankly, what Bridges is doing in the Fisher King, right? Like he's 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 playing off someone who's playing crazy. Yeah, but I and think that's uh, the harder job. I, I you're you're about to say this, but I'll just cut you say off it. and say it before you. What he's doing in both of those movies is not playing the uh like unseasoned character who is the grounded friend to the bigger performance. Oh, yeah. Like he's playing somebody that also has their like weird intricacies and and weird particularities to them yes that that allows him to that allows him and his characters to stand out amongst the the more wild things that's happening with with his uh i mean here's here's what i'm ultimately landing with 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 bridges and cutters way though is that for all that like he's the anchor of that movie he's the protagonist it is such like an upsettingly insidious performance. It is, yes. In a way that I love. And there is something about how that character, Richard Bone, is so like evil almost in a way, even if he's ostensibly like, you know, doing the right thing throughout the crux of the movie because he's trying to hamper his friend's psychosis. But but there's that like subtle thread through the whole movie that like what if John Cutter's right about everything? And if John Cutter's right about everything, then Bridges is the antagonist of the movie, right? And there, there's something about how Bridges, I yeah. think, even before it's fully happened, like, locks into the fucking, like, moral rot at the center of the baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. That, like, this is a generation that ultimately was willing going to sell out every ideal it had for a paycheck and that's what cutter's way is about right he'd he'd he's rather a character live the who, comfortable life he well he's playing a character who i think they describe as being like ivy league educated yes but would rather kind of like lounge about all day pretending to sell boats and then go sleep with married women that he picks up at country clubs and but he's it's like, because he wants he's, to be able to go to the country clubs. But that he he wants to be able to go to the country clubs. But it's also like it's this escape from any kind of responsibility. Yeah, but when like and but like the crux of the responsibility thrust into yeah. him is this C- C- Cutter's way for for listeners who haven't seen is incredible. He Jeff Bridges plays like this you know semi bohemian semi wealthy you know aging boomer. He 
sees what he thinks might be a very prominent local businessman disposing of a body. Um, And he's like kind of psychotic Vietnam veteran friend, like once he's told this goes down this conspiracy theory rabbit hole that Bridges is trying to pull him out of. Well, the Uh, thing is he's not necessarily even trying to pull him out of it. He doesn't want it's the part disruption. of like it's part what, it's, of the like underlying insidiousness of exactly of it's, the it's, role. Yeah. That 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 what that what he ultimately cares about is that it's a disruption of this to to do anything to, to to be John Cutter and to pursue these leads is a disruption of the social fabric. I, but wait, so I, is saying anything. It's what what I love about that, what I love about him in that movie is that whenever the idea is we are going to expose this man for being a murderer, Bone is like, I don't want anything to do with this. Exactly. And the second it, it the second it turns into we can extort him for money with our knowledge of this, he's like, I'm on board, man. Yeah. Let's fucking go through with he's, it. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Is he he ultimately only cares about himself and it's there is either upward mobility or there is stasis. He mm-hmm. doesn't want anything but those two things. And John Cutter, for all that John Cutter is clearly mentally unwell, like represents some greater like spiritual truth that Bone simply cannot abide. And and yeah. Bridges locks in again. I mean, but this I is guess the, the only thing the I dude, have right? to add to you. This is the is crux because of the dude. because of the proto dude part aspect of it. The upward mobility is an aspiration, but he only wants to achieve it through like, I don't know what the word I'm I'm thinking of is, but like hard work is is not a viable option in order to yes. to get up the ladder in that way. He only he only wants to do it by either like a lucking into a situation where he just gets like invited into a deal that's going to make him in uh, an absurd amount of money to loafing off of other wealthier people that he knows or people that just like like cutter is not wealthy but owns a house so bone will just sleep at cutter's house because he does not have to buy one for himself or three uh use some kind of frowned upon scheme in order to 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 come into that upward mobility i mean i think i think bridges gets all of what's kind of I do too. Rotten about that guy. I don't, I love that performance. It's a great performance. I know he's been. I know that he's been described as being like the dude in yes. real life, which is essentially like what the Cohen brothers, the most stone. What inspired, like the inspiration for it was that the Cohen brothers knew that he was like that. Um, but he he's undeniably like a very intelligent performer, and he yes. undeniably seems to like be be able just to tap into things that are very elemental and and things that i think other performers not only would have a hard time tapping into but actively don't want to contend with because a it could be distracting or b it it might just be too difficult to kind of reconcile the things that he consistently deals with in his performances and actually get it on screen if you get what I'm saying, I think there's a sense. I think there's a sense to actor to acting, the profession of acting, in that for all the famous stories, myths, and and uh, just general like mysticism of 
of method and the kind of like quote unquote crazy things that actors will do in order to get into character. I do think there is, I do think there is an aspect to the, to the profession of acting in the sense that you have to temper yourself. You, you can't give in completely to said thing because at the end of the day, your mission is to put said performance on screen. And if you are too yeah. deep within yourself, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to relay that performance in a way where it is visible on screen. And uh, and when you look at somebody like Bridges, it's like, I know there's an aspect where he was raised in the industry. Like this, this to him is a, he, he treats acting almost as like a blue collar profession, like something that you learn the trade and you work on it day in and day out. And by the time you're in, by the time you're in your late fifties, like he is in crazy heart, you can kind of rely on the process that you use to achieve these, these incredible things that, that he is able to do on screen. Um, But I think beyond that, something that makes him special is that he's able to like, just go those like three or four extra layers deeper than most accomplished, uh, highly professional actors can't get into he really is like the best possible argument for nepo babies like the <laughs> argument that i've made for nepo babies but in yeah. that he it's that thing that like you know peter fonda had as well like other people peter that i can't fonda, think of also, but the sense um, that like you you you're you're so immersed in it from birth and you start so young that you develop this almost like purely intuitive understanding of the technical aspects of the craft if you get what i'm saying yeah i don't want to i don't want to have this conversation again again or just like prolong this conversation because i honestly i think it's a pretty like valueless conversation for us to be having as a culture in general to like be angry about the nepotism thing i think is is in this case in the case of like celebrities breeding another generation of yes. celebrity. But I, I don't necessarily think at a fundamental level, I don't think that's what happened with Bridges and people of the like. Is like it's not celebrity breeding another generation of celebrity. It's professional actor breeding yes, another generation exactly. of professional actor. Yeah. The same way that like a shoe cobbler, like his son would learn the trade and then yes. become an accomplished shoe cobbler. It's the same aspect. Complete yeah. agreement. Truly, one of my favorite actors. A, a great I, actor. I can't believe is, I haven't said that yet. Like, really, really, truly, like, one of my favorite actors. I, I think of this win a lot, like I think of um, Laura Dern winning Best Supporting Actress for Marriage Story, where <laughs> yeah. like I am, I am. More... Laura Dern is Laura Dern is also exactly what we're talking about, exactly. which is like generation exactly. of actor breeding another generation of actor. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I like. Laura Dern and I like Jeff Bridges enough that I am just generally happy that they have an Oscar and yeah. I kind of just roll my eyes at the idea that this is the one but whatever I I don't I'm not gonna get hung up on it and of course of course it's like it has nothing to do with them yeah. that these become the ones I think the thing that the thing that's frustrating about it is like for the import the the importance that we put on for whatever having like whatever kind of qualification the academy award means 
it's it's possible that it is just better to just look at it as a career award and being like said person is an Academy Award winner and not necessarily focus in on the specific project that they won the award for. But it's like there it are does get like I'm I'm what I'm saying is it, it, it gets very frustrating when wow. it's somebody like Bridges who's had like yeah. a dozen award uh, award worthy uh, like winning worthy performances and the one that he ends up winning for is a movie that you and i don't want to talk about yeah <laughs> that we're like continuing it's, not to talk it's about. <laughs> weird though i just i yeah. just had this thought i like king richard a great deal more than um crazy heart uh but i am almost more annoyed about will winning for king richard than i am for bridges winning for uh for crazy heart and maybe it's because I know that they could have done it right for Will, and they didn't, and they were never going to do it right for Bridges. Uh, I, I don't guess know. so. I think the one yeah. that I mean, literally the one that for it, this is not a hot take at all, but like the the DiCaprio one is one yes, that, that I think about that all the time. Pisses where I'm me just off. like, I just can't believe this is the one, and it's not even like I was happy that he finally won it when it happened, but. It's it's the opposite of the Bridges thing, where it's like with Bridges is like, oh, if you just waited another year, you have like one of his best performances yeah. he's ever given that you can hand it to, and one and like a much much better film that you could give it to. With the with the DiCaprio thing, it's like okay, we just miss you just missed out on twenty years of performances. Yeah, that's that exactly. I think to. that's what the yeah. frustration is. Colin Farrell's in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. Do you that. have any knowledge of like how he got cast in this film? Because like I, I said, I haven't just really like cast read him. I saw so here's the extent of this. I saw a completely unsourced indication <laughs> on a website I shall not name. Okay. Uh because people would make fun of me if they found out that I was looking at it. Okay. Um so take this with a grain of salt. I could not verify this anywhere. I did see a rumor. That Colin Farrell asked to not be in the marketing for this movie, uh, <laughs> to to more oriented around Jeff Bridges, but that makes sense because Colin Farrell is like not in this movie. He is second yeah. built. It's a cameo. Is, it's functionally a cameo. He's yeah. in three. It's scenes. almost literally like like Tommy Sweet or Tom. Is that his name, Tommy Sweet? <laughs> yeah. Did I forget it? Yeah, Tommy Sweet. The way Tommy Sweet functions like in the larger Bad Black story is also a cameo. Like he literally yes. cameos in on a performance that Bad yes. Black is giving. So and that's like almost literally like how Colin Farrell is functioning. Th- this is this is all it extends. So again, he's playing Tommy Sweet, who is someone who used to be Vlad Bad Black's protege and is now a huge star. Yeah. There's like a 10 minutes chunk in the middle of the movie that Colin is like fully in, which is when Bad Black goes to open for one of his shows. And then Colin like pops up at the end of the movie and doesn't even say anything. He just sings the big song at the end. That's it. The, the one that the, won the award. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw an interview with Scott Cooper and I did have this thought that was brought up. And I actually would say this is a problem with the movie. You spend like 30 minutes before he shows up and like Bridges basically spits every time someone says Tommy Sweet's name, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It really I, cl- 
I, it really I, clearly feels like there's bad blood between these two guys. I'm happy you're bringing this up because yeah. I, I wouldn't have, but it is an important thing. And, and when then, I was watching it, I was like, I do want to talk about this aspect of this. Movie. And then Colin shows up and it becomes immediately clear that whatever bad blood there is, it's completely one-sided. Yeah. That like Tommy Sweet has this immense reverence for his mentor and wants to do right by this guy. He's almost they're 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 getting like a drink at a at a restaurant just before the show. Yeah. And a fan comes up and asks for an autograph. And Tommy Sweet is almost offended that he's asking him for the autograph yes. and not and, and, but, but it and it's genuine. Weird. He's not doing it as like a performative thing to put on some kind of show for bad Blake. Like the way Colin Farrell is playing it is that he genuinely feels that bad Blake is the one that everybody should be clamoring to. And like regarding as yeah. the, the legend that, that there's this, there's this really yeah. interesting, I think it's the, the best part of the movie. Is it when they're when talking bad about Blake like is, they were in a no, film or something? No. no, when bad Blake is playing the show, oh, the yes. opening, yeah. the opening set. Yeah. Tommy crashes one of the songs and duets with him in one of the songs. And it's so it's such an interesting sequence because you can tell that Tommy doesn't clock that this is like almost an offensive thing to yeah. Bad Blake, which it is it is like here's the thing, it is kind of a shitty thing to do to Bad Blake if you think about it because you're you're upstaging the rest of the set. But you can tell that Tommy is just like beaming at the opportunity to sing this song with with his mentor again a song that we've already been told mm -hmm. is his biggest hit uh yeah bad blake's biggest hit when the set ends like the stage manager says oh tommy wants you to come on for these two songs and blake just storms off and then you see colin performing one of the songs that was missing and you can tell he's thrown off like he doesn't know what to do because he's expecting bridges to be on stage with him yeah that's all very interesting and i think colin plays it really well and the fact that it's stuff that is interesting in this movie that is like not stated directly in dialogue i think is credit to colin juicing those scenes up you know <laughs> especially if you read like that they had 10 minutes to shoot all the concert footage in this movie he does including the the colin singing at the end I don't know if you knew that they had like 10 minutes to get all of that. Yeah, no. Yeah. Cause, yeah. cause the way, the way they do these uh, yeah. concert scenes, like typically for most uh, music films of this type is that they'll like actually put the actors out on a stage before a concert. That is yes. really this going is, to happen. In real this life. is with, yeah. with, with, this stuff is all the acts break in a Toby Keith show. Yeah. Like that's what they're, that's what they're shooting here. Like um, the, a star is born stuff happened like at Coachella before a, a later performance is going to come yeah, out. I, like, I believe. Yeah. It's so they don't have to corral a crowd basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, I it's good. Interview. It's good production planning. Yes. Objectively. And, and, and the fact that they got yeah. all this stuff and it's good stuff, even if they're yeah. shooting it with like five cameras doing one take. I mean, that is a credit to Colin and Bridges as performers that like they need to carry this stuff and the script isn't doing anything there. It and ties it's into the most the interesting thing that, stuff in the movie. It ties into the thing that Joel Schumacher was yeah. talking yes. way, way back about Colin Farrell. That was like he shows up, he's ready to go. You turn the camera on, he's going to get he's going to hit his mark and he's going to get the take. I read an interview with Scott Cooper. And the interview, he brought up something that like how how kind of struck he was by the fact that the movie is setting you up for what is a pretty hoary like narrative um, 
not surprising given how fucking like cliche and play the hits everything <laughs> this movie is that like the guy who got famous wants nothing to do with the old timer right that he's just like a pure part of the national machine and yeah. this interview said something about how like and it's such a pleasant surprise that you meet this guy and that's not the case and cooper was like yeah that's one of my favorite parts of the script like i really liked upending it the problem is there's nothing to tommy but that twist you know what i'm saying but then the that, twist like, it 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 provokes more unanswered questions, especially because at the end of the film, they're just working together and there's yeah. no real reconciliation of there's no real even. I'm not trying to say that movies have to explain everything that has happened or anything that is happening, but it's you can't pinpoint at any time why blake feels this way about sweet other than the fact that like sweet is really successful yeah. possibly is the I only mean, i thing. think that's what yeah. it's meant to be the problem is there's no reconciliation because there is no need for reconciliation right yes that's what but i'm like, saying yeah. but the problem is there's a version of that movie where that's interesting and their relationship still has like places to go and can be developed and mm -hmm. the problem with the screenplay is because you have the twist that he's nice then the movie doesn't have anything to do because this is hack bullshit and it is in fact leaving the good time honored material of the reconciliation on the cutting room floor so by like making an interesting decision the movie's shooting itself in the foot because it's not good enough to be interesting and take like actual artistic risks do you get what there's, i'm saying there's a there's a there's a story wrapped up in here yeah. about a man who whose prime has has left him behind and he didn't hit the heights that he thought he was going to hit and this is this story is in the film where he decides what his real gift was was writing songs and now he was going to become a songwriter and aid in the career of his former protege who he couldn't he, but previously he couldn't reconcile that said protege got more famous and more successful yes. than he was. And now he's making the active decision to not position his life against the success of what could have been, but like actually want to be a part of it in his own right and write the music as opposed to being the superstar himself. But that story, as I'm saying, is wrapped up in all the minute, the minutia of like the, the just strange realities of the way this plot plays out. And it's not a story uh, that the film is telling. The, the thing about this Colin performance though, is and it's not really on Colin, but to me, it's the Colin stuff that really made me snap into focus that like, I fucking hated this movie. Um, <laughs> and it's like, you know, someone, one of the reviews I said, I think it was Ebert, it might have been David Stevens, like kind of addressed the tender mercies elephant in the room yeah. and said like, well, it's country music. It's about reiterating the same ideas anyway. And that's true if you have a take. But Scott Cooper doesn't have a take. And let me tell you, let me give you a strange analogy. Do you remember the class we took with Dana Poland where we did like a fucking two hours on the opening scene of Robert Siad Max the Killers? <laughs> yeah do you remember like the, that literally the, literally the first like four minutes of that movie yeah maybe uh, more the, maybe like 11 it, minutes i think it's yeah. like it's 10 minutes it's 10 yeah. minutes it's a long opener one of the best classes ever time we, we we did the super deep dive but if you've never seen the killers the opening scene of the killers is 
two hitmen coming to a small town looking for one guy in particular. Mm-hmm. And they're like tearing the town up trying the to Swede. find the guy. The Swede. And then finally someone manages to get away and runs to go tell this guy, the Swede, that they're looking for him. And this guy's just like sitting in an empty motel room shrouded in darkness and basically says, let them come, let them kill me, and then sits up. And I remember a professor saying something about this shot that like the movie spent 10 minutes being like, who's the Swede? Who's the Swede? Everyone's talking about the Swede, right? Like you don't see him. And then when you meet this guy, you get this like crux of who he is, the central mystery of the whole movie that he's like this suicidal fatalist. And then he steps into the light right and it's Burt Lancaster and it's the most beautiful man you've ever seen in your life and I remember a professor said something like it's the greatest introduction to a movie star ever because the movie just makes you wait and wait and wait and then Mm -hmm. times it out aesthetically and ideologically in the perfect sense you get 30 minutes of being like Tommy Sweet Tommy Sweet Tommy Sweet Tommy Sweet Tommy Sweet Tommy Sweet right yeah you are gifted that Colin Farrell is in this movie (laughs) Colin Farrell like Burt Lancaster, is an incredible actor. But Colin Farrell, like Burt Lancaster, also gives you the added bonus of they're gorgeous, right? I think... How does Tommy Sweet enter this movie? When's the first time you see him? When he when they're in the restaurant together? Yeah, you get a shot yeah. of, of, of it. Just like, walking into the restaurant. He just walks right? into a restaurant. Yeah. No buildup. No context. You don't even know that, that Jeff Bridges is waiting to That's what I was going to say. Like, you said it's not really on Colin, and it's like... They visually they have no idea how to shoot him in a way that allows him to sustain this like idea of of who he is. I know this movie's not the fucking killers, but like the killers isn't the most original movie of all time, but the killers has ideas and like Cooper completely whiffs what should be this incredible movie star entrance for Colin because you've just been building up this guy's arrival into the narrative. And the movie has no payoff for that because it doesn't even know that it's building him up because the movie has no fucking ideas. Like that's it at the crux yeah. of it, right? It's there, just there's there's so one rapid. there's one piece that I find interesting that's very un, like it's clearly unintentional. It's an unintentional byproduct of this like lack of vision. I think that's applied to the Tommy Sweet character, but. I do kind of like the sense that like you're expecting this insane rock star introduction when you finally see him. Instead, you're getting a guy who's like clearly been on tour for a while and is just going through the motions and is kind of just doing what he's got to do to get to get through the day and move on to the next thing the next day. I I don't think I I don't think that's there to the degree it needs to be there. No, it's not. You I'm know, saying like it's it's this one take that I had while watching it that I that I it's clearly to me is like an un- unintentional bribe byproduct of the way this yeah. film was shot like, and made. Bad Blake is introduced like grumbling his way into a venue and going like not another fucking bowling alley, which is like a statement of purpose that this is a new take on the Jeff Bridges persona. <laughs> Incidentally. Yeah. Scott Cooper, you fucking liar. Scott Cooper claims it's a complete coincidence. Scott Cooper claimed in 2009 he'd never seen the Big Lebowski. You know what I say? What? Bullshit. I call bullshit. The, the The first 20 minutes of this movie take place in a bowling alley. You know what you're doing. All right. Strange. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It takes place in a bowling alley. 
<laughs> oh my god it, it even makes a point it even makes a point of the bowling alley owner being like i will comp you on any game you want to play while yeah. you're here and yeah. and it, it's like it's like it, it's clear that this is a gesture of him being like this is not the dude because he's exactly. like almost so offended by the fact that but this like, guy thinks that he would want that's clunky yeah. but that's the movie having a sense of movie star iconography and wanting to say something with it for an entrance yeah with colin it's got nothing because this movie doesn't have anything it can't do anything that another movie hasn't already done and that other movie is tender mercies i'm sorry watch tender mercies it's so good it's it, so good it's like actually offensive that they put robert duvall in this right like I, it's like this it's movie is almost close this movie home. this movie is almost also trying to say that the robert duvall character in this is like the same character from tender mercies just like 40 years or 30 years down the line am i wrong like it, it feels like it's trying to say that it's the I, same I guy can't even think yeah of that. it's so stupid um, and he's like it's trying it's almost like they're like how will bad how will bad black get sober or bad blake sorry how will bad blake get sober oh he needs the, he needs mac um uh he literally what's his needs last to go name? to fucking mac truck Better, yeah yeah <laughs> What not is Max Shrek. Max Truck, I said. That's a joke. Oh, uh, what is Max name? Shrek. That's the dude. That's a uh, Christopher Walken in Batman Returns. Who yeah. Max Shrek is? It's Mac. Uh, it's Max. Sledge. Max Sledge. It's a great good, name. It's a way better name. name than Bad Black. Yeah. Bad Blake. It's so bad. Blake. Yeah. It's so stupid that he's like, my name's Bad. I'm like, yeah, okay, I, buddy, I was down. gonna say what what made me immediately what this movie immediately lost me with the Maggie Gyllenhaal stuff it has nothing well, like no, no shade some, on Maggie Gyllenhaal. There's some just shade on Maggie Gyllenhaal. I, I don't think like I, it's not I, her fault. She's, it's that's what I'm trying to say is like it. This is not. It's it's like just unnecessary. It's I just hate it. I hate that they introduce this character. Just to give Bad Blake the opportunity to fuck up something later. I know in the film. it's so hacky. Yeah, she got an Oscar nomination for this movie. That's insane. But there's like there's nothing genuine about their chemistry on no, the screen. If they have anything, no chemistry. if anything, it's questionable to a high degree. It's very suspect why this person would be even interested in pursuing a romantic relationship with this man she seems she seems far too emotionally intelligent to be like down for this kind of buffoonery that he's up to um i mean and yeah she's taken aback by his his skill as a musician but again we're talking about like a unsuccessful broke guy who's going from bowling alley to bowling alley and playing with just whatever band that they can pick up in the local town that that he's traveling to it's not it's not the same case where in a star is born jackson maine's uh substance abuse issues seem to just be like this is what you get when you're part of that you 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 understand what i'm saying like when you're introduced to the lifestyle that he lives in that movie like it's not seen as it's not immediately portrayed as the just like hugely debilitating vice and issue that he has because that aspect of his lifestyle itself is just garnish on top of the other insane eccentricities that this huge musical superstar is living on a daily basis this one is like he's just an old drunk guy yeah. also jackson main is like hot early yeah, 40s bradley cooper hot. and this is again like old like overweight drunk guy who's puking 
off stage because he just like he can't keep going with it. Again, his doctor is like it gives like it's one of the it's that's also that's also a moment in this movie where I'm like, they don't even know, like, just pick pick a thing that's wrong with him. Just just hammer down on a specific thing. Be like, you fucked up your kidney in the car crash. You can't drink anymore or something like that. Just pick something. Just make it easy. Instead, the doctor is like, like list 37 ailments that could happen, which makes you think that like he has cancer at the time. And it's like, no, you're just drinking too much. Can I I say something maybe contentious? Sure. Maggie Gyllenhaal is mostly retired from acting at this point. She's made like three projects in the last 10 years uh yeah, yeah she seems to be more interested in writing and directing these days mm-hmm. uh good good career move maggie because <laughs> uh you're a way better director than you ever were an actor I'm did sorry. you ever watch the deuce i didn't I she's re- she's really really good she's deuce. she's been really good in stuff she's almost like transcendentally good okay she's really yeah. good in secretary uh, she's really good in World but Trade i think Center. part part of the reason like if you watch the lost daughter and you've seen her in the deuce like she's playing a woman who becomes an avant-garde filmmaker by okay. way of by way of like she she plays a former prostitute who gets into por- early pornography and by that route becomes like an avant-garde filmmaker like an avant-garde feminist filmmaker oh, working in that Candida new york Royale? city in the deuce she's playing a character wikipedia i don't think she plays a real person in the deuce. wikipedia says it's based on candida royale i can see that and, um and but it's not a real person about yeah. her arc is like that's candida royale yes um, yeah. yeah yeah i mean I was, that makes sense to me i was trying to figure out like what's the deal with her oscar nomination for this movie um because she got like no precursors. Um, she like won like a supporting actor award from the Prism Awards, which are like an awards for movies that deal with substance abuse. Mm. And she got my favorite Petty Award. Uh, she she got nominated for the Alliance of Women Film Journalists Award for most egregious age gap in a romance, uh, which is just a petty thing they do every year. Um, right. Uh, but she didn't get any actual real precursors and then she got an Oscar nomination for this. And I was trying to figure it out. And if you look at like, so the other nominees this year are Monique and Precious, Penelope Cruz in nine, Vera Farmiga and Anna Kendrick in up in the air. And if you look at the other awards bodies for supporting actress this year, it's generally those four and a fifth. And that fifth never really shows up anywhere else. So I really do think it's just that crazy heart fever hit at voting time. There was no fifth supporting actress nominee really in contention. And she kind of just lucked into a nomination because it's such a nothing performance. I'm just hunting in my brain of different combinations. Like within three seasons, how do we knock off every like like the top 10 roles in the dark Knight and the top 10 roles, like in the Harry Potter universe, like how do we knock them off without actually covering any of those? So I know we're going to co- cover technically cover a Harry Potter film in this movie because we got to get Michael Jai white. We got to get uh uh body. Hey, Connor, 
<laughs> if you want to do a Michael Jai White podcast, I will fucking do a Michael Jai White podcast. <laughs> we got to get Eric Roberts. We got to get is an Eric Roberts podcast. No, but I'm saying we have to cover him at some point. Is he? It's Colin Farrell in a movie with Eric Roberts. No, it wouldn't shock me. No. Yeah, man. Do you have anything else to say about this movie? I don't. It's bad. It's not it's, good. It's just, it's the true, uh, to, in my mind, it's like a true representation of the phrase half-baked. Yeah. It's like you didn't follow through with actually, we've we've looked at so many like ingenious filmmakers and for all the criticisms, criticisms that may be levied against them, if you're looking at a Michael Mann or you're looking at a Martin McDonough and it's like, Every single aspect of every word that's being said in the dialogue, every piece of set deck that's on screen, every piece, every prop has some purpose for being there. And then you watch a film like this where it's like even the genre of music that they chose doesn't really seem to serve mm -hmm. a, a purpose. And it's it's a huge gulf. And it, 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 it's as a committed viewer, it's very frustrating. Yeah, I agree. Go watch Cutter's Way and go watch Cutter's Fearless. Way is so good. Watch and go watch The Big Lebowski again and, and go watch, watch True Grit again and, and watch, watch Tucker, A Man in His Dream. And Tender Mercies. And Tender Mercies. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, tender Mercies is, is low. Again, low it's energy. like, it's so simple. That movie is so subtle. And it's just about a man who already is sober during the film. And he's yeah. just struggling with that. And there's there's something so pure in that idea of like you fix the problem, but you still don't feel right. And you don't know how to keep moving forward in the in the correct direction. And like it's just little victories in that movie that come across as opposed to this one where the badgering of the issues of being chronically drunk it becomes offensive not not in like a not in like a culturally or uh like intellectually offensive way but it becomes mm -hmm. like emotionally offensive where it's like i just don't want to be watching this type of thing anymore you know yeah yeah because nothing yeah. surprising happens from the very beginning of this movie when when he has the first concert in the bowling alley and he just can't like get through the whole thing he's puking during the concert and it becomes very clear that he, he has a drinking problem you just you know exactly how the movie is going to play out the second he begins a relationship with maggie gyllenhaal you understand that that relationship is only a, a device through which his his subsequent drinking problem will like bring him to a point where he has to contend with said problem and overcome it in some way yeah the only the only surprising thing is that he and Joan Hall don't end up together and that's not even that interesting well even that is like it's the way it's the way it's presented is again it's just like another when I was a young cinephile and and critics will would use the criticism that like this is not a real character this is a plot device and that's problematic to me because I don't want to see people be represented as plot devices that are only there to lay some kind of emotional blow to said main character or direct the plot in a certain direction and mm -hmm. I, I i like for 
it took me a while like it took me to mature into being an adult to like understand what that criticism actually meant and even when you get to the end of the film and she's married and they don't end up together it's like she has she has met some moved away met somebody else guy married and then goes to find him at a concert to like write another profile about him all within the span of like 18 months throughout which he has gotten sober written a song that tommy sweet has released as a single and has made like a decent amount of money off of that one song yeah which is just like that's not the way life life doesn't wrap up in a bow like that no it doesn't it doesn't happen yeah it's offensive to the senses for for like these kinds of stories to play out in the way that they do to put it yeah Please tell me you don't have a game. I can't think of it. I don't. I don't. <laughs> All right. Um, I do like the title. I mean, like, it's cool it's that the movie's called Crazy. Title. Yeah. Uh, they should have. I'm going to say this. This is a movie where everything needs to be a little neater. Should have either called this movie The Weary Kind or called the song Crazy Heart. And put it out yeah. there. I know it's a line in the song, but make it cleaner. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we have no idea when this is going to go up. Uh, we hope the strike resolves soon. Um, yeah, Connor, you want to plug the Instagram? Yeah, it's at above the title pod. Connor, you have months to start posting on the Instagram know, again. Are you excited? I know. Uh, please remember to rate if you subscribe. We will be back next week. Uh, hopefully a movie that is better. I've never seen it. Oh, I'm uh, excited to talk about Peter Weir, though. Yeah, I we mean, you could tell, like, I would... I, 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 I fearless is one of those movies that like I would just wish we could talk about that instead of Crazy Heart. Yeah, like I well, wish that we could. We'll just do fucking Rosie Perez of the podcast one day. We could um, do. Uh, we could do Benicio. We could do Benicio. We could do John um, Turturro. We could do oh, Isabella oh. Rossellini. Also good, not as yeah. good as Turturro. Turturro. Not as good as Turturro. <laughs> if we did Turturro and we included the nineties, we throw this out here. Do you just We're start at eighty? Eighty. So you just start to do the right thing, though. Sure. Yeah. If we do Totoro, let's say we do the 90s. Yeah. We got a bunch of Coen Brothers movies in there. Mm-hmm. We got a bunch of Spike Lee movies in there. And then you get Transformers. And we get five Transformers movies <laughs> in there. I don't know, man. That sounds like a good time. We would me. have to do... We would have to do Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the television show. That's not a real show. Um... <laughs> We we would do the sequel to the Big Lebowski that he made. Oh yeah, uh, is it uh, officially right? Like it's officially a sequel. Yeah, it came out three yeah. years ago. No, but I'm saying like it oh, is yeah. officially a yeah. sequel. Like it's oh, yeah. accepted as being a true sequel. Oh yeah. yeah. You ready? What for is the it called? Cast? Like Jesus, like the uh, the Jesus rolls. It's called the Jesus rolls. Yes. <laughs> you, can I just? Can I just? Can I just? Obviously, Totoro's in it, right? Yeah, is Zac Efron in it? Am I remembering that correctly? No, Zac Efron's no. not in it. Let is me, it somebody you... like? Is it somebody like Zac Efron? No, it's not. Oh, okay. Let me hit you with Never the cast mind. here: Bobby Cannavale. Oh my god, Audrey Tatu. Okay, let's go. Pete Davidson. <laughs> I might John... be. He might be the one that I'm. John Hamm. Really, Susan Sarandon. This is like early Pete Davidson too, right? This Sonia is like Braga. pre. This is like pre, like Ariana Grande, Pete Davidson no, when he got cast in the years movie. after. Uh, okay, that. Never mind. 
Sonia Braga, Christopher Walken, J.B. Smoove, Tim Blake Nelson. J. Come B. on. Smoove. Love J.B. Smoove. I'm just what if saying. we did? What if we did Tim Blake Nelson? Oh, okay. God. We did. I just saw him in something. Oh, it was. Um, it's that he's in an episode of Poker Face. That I'm watching Poker Face. Um. Okay. We would do holes, man. That's what I was about movie. to say. Is we're doing yeah. polls, which is a, a, an American classic. <laughs> we're doing. We can finally do. <laughs> you want to do? <laughs> so uh, we're bad. gonna do. <laughs> okay, we got We got to get back on track. We got to end this podcast. <laughs> Are we still we... recording? Are you still we're, recording? I haven't about? finished the show. Oh god! Yeah, join us <laughs> next week as we've alluded to for Peter Weir's uh, "The Way Back." Uh, the last Peter Weir movie probably ever. Um, until then, um, Jesus, I didn't even think of anyone. Well, fuck, um, fuck T Bone Burnett. He's a bit of a hack. I can feel it.